Get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We welcome each of you here, both our regular members and visitors. There will be a potluck after this service and then uh, an afternoon service if you're inclined to stay and you're here visiting with us. Also, you can turn these off, Joe. All right. In case you don't know, I'm Pastor Humphrey. <laughs> I've been here for 30 years, so you should know. But uh, 30, 30, 38 years. But Pastor Demelo is gone this week. He was preaching in um, Missouri this week, and he'll be back, I think, on Thursday. We're going to look at the discipline of God and we're going to be reading for a text, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And ye, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, <clears throat> nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily for a few days, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised uh, thereby. Let's pray. Father, uh, let's pray that you would come now and arrest our attention and help us to focus upon your word and upon you or the, the things that may, I may find hard to explain or word I pray that your spirit would guide in that, those matters. Help us, Lord, to uh, know that you are working in us. You have a purpose for us, and we pray that specific needs might be met here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today, both uh, this morning and this afternoon, I'm going to share with you some truths on... Uh, the discipline of God in our lives. This morning is going to be more general. We're just going to kind of step back and take a big overall view of the discipline of God. And then this afternoon, we're going to get uh, more specific and more personal uh, with the discipline of God. I think that uh, we fail to really, and I, I know I do, fail to really grasp in my life, uh, what God is doing. Sometimes I just uh, don't even recognize that he is doing something, and sometimes it just seems like, oh, it's just part of life, and, and uh, those things happen when actually God is actually working behind the scenes. We tend to ask the question when sorrow and suffering and difficult things come into our life, question, why? Why have you allowed this, Lord? Why is this happening? When in actuality, we need to ask the question, what is God trying to do in and through these events that has occurred in my life? If God is sovereign, and there's no if to that, he is sovereign, 
then the things that he allows in my life are there by his permission that it must meet his approval. And though not everything is instigated by God, uh, God still works in them. And if that's the case, then we need to be on the same page with God. We need to cooperate with God. We need to understand what his discipline is all about. And as he said here in the fifth verse, that we don't come to a place where we despise what's happening in our life, where we keep asking why, 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 why. But we embrace that and we cooperate with that. I think the context of this passage is very important. We've just been through chapter 11. I mean, uh, it precedes chapter 12, of course. And chapter 11 is a chapter about some great Bible characters that are great men and women of faith. Can't name them all, but we see Abel and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and on and on it goes. There's this false idea that once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we're free from problems and trials and all the rough roads and the weariness and the sorrow and suffering are going to go away. But as you study these great heroes of faith, Abraham and, and Noah and, Ab- and Jacob and Abel, all of them went through very, very difficult times. And in fact, it's kind of summed up there in chapter 11 and verse 32 when he says, And what shall I say, what shall I, and what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they may without us should not be made perfect. And so he's talking about Christians here, and he's talking about the fact that they're going to be stoned, they're going to be sawn in two, they're going to be tempted, and that Christianity does not bring a bed of roses, but the Lord allows different things to come into our lives. Then he goes on after that and discusses the suffering of God's children through chastisement. And what is it about? We need to understand chastisement. Know that, as we've already said, that nothing comes into our lives that God doesn't first approve of. And and though he does not necessarily instigate it, uh, he is in control of it. Remember when Joseph's brethren uh, captured him or got him and stripped him of his coat of many colors and threw him down in a pit and talking about whether they should kill him or not. And, and, uh, and along comes this uh, train of camels going into Egypt and taking their goods to sell. And they sell them, they sell them to that group of people. And they take Joseph down to Egypt and sell him as a slave. And God didn't instigate or put it into the heart of Joseph's brethren to do that. But in the end, Joseph could say to his brothers, But as for ye, ye thought evil against me, 
But God meant it unto good to bring it to pass, and it is this day to save much people alive. And so God's hand is in the affairs of everything. Sometimes we, you know, we reap what we sow. Uh, God's not in stupidity. Uh, we can't, you know, if, you, if you're driving on your car and may pop tires and you're going to Anchorage and they didn't just may pop, something popped, you can't say, well, God's disciplined me. God's giving me a spanking. No, you're just reaping your stupidity. And so sometimes that happens. But, but God, very definitely what I want us to see today is that God very definitely works in chastisement in our lives. And I think that we need to maybe set up and pay a little more attention. We can't just put it off all the time just to, well, that, that's life, because there's a, that God is in control. And so we're going to talk a, a little bit about this, uh, this chastisement. As children of God, we've already talked about this. We need to understand what God is doing in our lives and discipline. Why? Why? When suffering... And sorrow and sickness comes into our lives, we often ask why. Why is God allowing this? Why did this happen to me? But instead, we should be asking what? What is God trying to do in my life? What is he trying to teach me? I think that as we begin, we really need to get a hold of this idea of of chastisement. That word is used in uh, verse 5. It talks about chastening. Uh, In verse Six, chasteneth, and verse seven, chastening, and verse seven, two times chastening. It's used in verse eight. And in verse nine, the word corrected is the very same word in the original language as chastening. And usually, uh, when we talk about chastening, in my, in my thinking, and, and possibly your thinking, I'm thinking about the Board of Education applied to the seat of knowledge, if you understand what I'm talking about. They're taking a paddle and putting it on the rear end, and that's chastening. But actually, the word chastening is much broader than that. It's much deeper than that. And as we said, I don't know if we can read this back there, but as I said, we usually, we usually see chastisement as only the Board of Education applied to the seat of knowledge, a spanking, but it's much bigger than that. It encompasses the, the whole training and education of our children. Uh, cultivating their minds, morals, and employs uh, the commandments and admonitions, reproofs. It's a word that means to. Uh, it's a word that means to uh, train and educate your children. It carries the idea of discipline, a very broad term. It's uh, it's to move us to cultivate our souls, to correct mistakes, to c- c- you know control our sinful nature. And so when we see this word chastisement, understand that God is not just in the spanking, but he's in the training. He's in the doing things in our life that's going to grow us to become more conformed to the image of his son. And so uh, when, we, when we see the word chastisement in this context, it's, it's not just disciplinary. But I think also it's important to note that word pleasure where it says... Uh, in verse uh, 10, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And so what does that word pleasure mean? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's me all excited. That's how I'm going to look when I finally lose all my hair. But I'm all excited. I'm all, you know, oh, I get to spank jock today. No, 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 no. Uh, no godly parent enjoys spanking. There's no pleasure in disciplining your children. But the word has more to do, you know, so I have some visitors come over, and it's, it's a hot summer day in Alaska, and I say, I have some iced tea, I have some, some Coca-Cola, I've got some cold lemonade, i got ice water. What is your pleasure? 
Not that, what is your choice? How, how are you going to choose this? And so when it says they discipline after their own pleasure, it's saying that they discipline, the parents are disciplined how they see what's the best way to do that. It's not always spanking. It's not always, you know, time out, chair, but there's different ways, and maybe they're correcting what they do. Maybe they're not correcting what they do. But, and, and sometimes what parents do, as you see in the context here, it's not for our, their profit. It doesn't really profit because they may have chose the wrong way to discipline. But God always, whatever God brings into our lives, that verse tells us that God always does it for our best. He always does it for our profit. And so it's, it, the word pleasure, I don't take it in the wrong way. It's a word that involves all of this training and education now, there's a couple of observations that we need to make about discipline. And that this passage here, when it talks about the Lord disciplining his children, this passage is not about punishment, but it's about discipline. There's a very sharp difference in God's way of doing things between punishment and discipline. All Christians are never going to be punished for their sins because that punishment was at the cross. And so whatever God brings into your life as a child of God, if you're saved here this morning, understand it's for our profit. That God's doing it for, for a reason. That This didn't just come into my mind by some happenstance. Uh, this didn't just come to me because of God, you know, playing around, but it's for our profit. That, that don't, don't, don't think that when God disciplines you that he's doing that because of uh, wanting to punish you. God wouldn't be just. His love would be imperfect if he tried to exact payment from us from what we do as his children. He's going to correct us, but he's not going to punish us. The punishment took place at the cross. And so discipline doesn't lie in the, in, in the nature of the pain that being inflicted upon us, but it's in the purpose of the pain. Suffering as an unbeliever is quite different. Discipline, as I said, it's not in the nature of the pain, but the purpose of the pain. And the suffering of an unbeliever and the suffering of a believer may not be too much different. Both the unbeliever and the believer can get cancer. Both can have loved ones die. Both can lose their jobs. But in one sense, a man is being punished for his sins. In the other sense, he's being disciplined by God. In punishment... God is the judge. In discipline, he's the father. A vast difference. In punishment, the object is his enemy. If you're not a child of God, you're an enemy of God. In discipline, the object of the discipline is his child. In punishment, the goal is condemnation. But in discipline, the goal is holiness. And so it makes a vast difference this morning whether you're born again or not born again. God cannot deal with the lost person as a heavenly father. He, when, he, when, when he allows discipline to come into your life, it's, it's to punish you because your sins, the wages of sin is death, that, you, that, that your sins haven't been paid for at the cross. And so uh, I want to examine... From God's point of view, and from our point of view, uh, this thing about discipline. You see in uh, chapter 12 here, and verse 7, he says, If you endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? And then again in verse 9, Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And so what God has done in order for us to better understand his working in our lives, he relates it to the family unit. He relates discipline 
to how our Father would, would act and how he as a Heavenly Father is going to act. Now, there's really, when we talk about it, uh, and, and trying to get you to better grasp what's going on here, there are three ways that parents deal with children when it comes to discipline. And those three ways God also deals uh, with you and I. In order, uh, we see the, we, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Discipline, sorrow, suffering, and sickness, pain in our lives by God, the same pain in our lives from our parents, uh, the discipline from our parents. Discipline sometimes is educational. Sometimes discipline is preventive. God allows certain things to come into our lives that, that, aren't, that aren't enjoyable. They're not necessarily what we want. But God brings them into our lives to prevent some things. And, of course, corrective discipline when we are spanked. <clears throat> discipline in a child of God's life, as we said, is never punishment but it's correction. Now, let me give you a crude illustration. Uh, I'm kind of crude today. I hope you stay with me here. I struggled with uh, this, but I think that there's a necessity for us to understand what God's trying to do. It's gotten cold. We're putting wood in the fires if you have a wood stove. And let's say that I have a toddler in the home and I bought this little fan here, and I place it on there, and that toddler sees that fan, and he wants it. It's fascinating. The heat of the stove makes it run. Those, those little fans are going around. And he wants his hands on it. He wants to see it. Well, I, I, uh, I have to stop that, because if he gets over there and tries to take that off the stove, he's going to be hurt. He's going to be burned. And so I slap his hand or I tell him, no, don't be doing that. And that's instructive discipline. It's not, it's not punitive, but it's instructive. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping his hand. I'm giving him a lecture because I... Um, I don't want him to get hurt. Now you're going to find out in time, God slaps your hands. God may take his word, he gives you a little lecture. And he's trying to keep you from being hurt. He's trying to keep you from going down that road. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be times that God does that in your life. That I've, I've had this thing I wanted to do, I want that thing that's bright and shiny. It's something that, that, that I need. You know, everybody else has it. I need it. Uh, you know, I can't live without this. And God says, no, don't go over there. Don't do that. And, and, and I get my hand slapped in a sense spiritually. Well, this little toddler, he's determined. He's determined to uh, get it. And so... I get, I get a, a barrier, and I put that barrier in between the stove and him, and that's preventive discipline. That God just does some stuff, and he says, he stops me in my tracks. That he, he pulls the rug out from underneath me. He, he won't let me pursue what I want to do. He prevents me from going down that road. There's a roadblock. And all these things seem like they're all in order and going to happen. And then all of a sudden, all the tires go flat. And, and I'm just prevented from going down that. That He blocks that way. He's not going to allow that to happen. And he says, that's not happening. And then he, this guy, he's bound and determined he's going to get to that. So he goes over and he pulls the barrier down. He's going to go get it anyway. Well, that's when finally we have to go to corrective discipline. I got to make the pain 
and wanting that greater than his desire in his heart to go get it. And when the pain is greater, then he's going to give up going and getting it. And, and have you ever, you know, have you ever been uh, swatted on the rear end by God? I mean, there's going to be times that God clearly, you will know that God has done this and he's, and he's working in my life in those ways. Now, let me give you some examples of that. First of all, educational discipline. Look with me over in the book of, book of Job, back in the Old Testament, there by Psalms. The book of Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. When you read about this guy, Job, these verses here, you couldn't find a more upstanding person. I mean, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, says of Job. He says that he was perfect, that he was upright. I don't think perfect means that he was without sin, but he was complete, mature, he's upright, and he feared God. He had a respectful fear of God. And he eschewed evil. That means that he put it off. He, he hated evil. He wanted to get a, away from evil. I don't know if a greater, a greater testimony could be given to anyone than was given to Job. But let, you, let me remind you that he suffered like no other man. That, that he went through some terrible things. He, he, he uh, probably no man in history has went through sorrow and suffering like Job did. But you never find a mention in the Bible, in this book of Job, that Job suffered because of his sin. In fact, God is pretty upset with the counselors that come to Job and tell Job, well, you know, your problem is you got hidden sin in your life, you just need to confess it. In the end, God deals with those guys. And in fact, they, they try to get right with God and God won't even hear their prayers and only Job can be pray for them and Job did pray for them. But Job, there's, no, there's nothing in this, this difficult thing that's happening that we could say Job has sinned. Now, I'll give you this because, listen, there could be some things come into your life, very terrible things, very, very hard things. And it may not be because of sin your life at all. But God is trying to instruct you. He's trying to grow you. He's trying to educate you. Look over in Job 32. In Job 32... So these, uh, let's see, Job uh, 32.1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Job uh, listened to them. He heard what they said. He examined his life, and he was righteous in his own eyes. Well, you can take that too far. If you go over to chapter 33 of Job, and look there in verse 9. He said, to, speaking to God, uh, he says, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasion against me. He counts me for his enemy. Job, Job doesn't understand. Listen, remember what he lost. He lost his, all of his children. He lost all of his flocks. He lost his health. He, his, the wind had come and destroyed houses, and, and he'd been here, he, here he, he's sitting, as we see here, uh, he's sitting, his counselors are counseling him, he's scratching uh, the boils on his flesh, and he has been suffering. He, he, uh, he verse 9, 
he says, I'm innocent. Behold, he findeth occasion against me. He cometh me out of his enemy. He putteth my feet in stocks. That is, that he's saying, God won't let me, you know, I want to flee this place. I want to flee the presence of God. I want to throw in the towel. This thing about being a godly man and, and one that shoes evil, uh, he, I'm just, I just want to be done with it. Yet God holds him solid right there and won't let him leave. He marketh all my paths. There's like God's force following him around. Behold, in this thou art not just. He tells God, I, you, you're wrong in this. Why are you treating me this way? I will answer thee that God is greater than man. What dost thou strive against him? He giveth not account of any of his matters. He said, I know God's greater than me, uh, and I'm, uh, how can I strive against him? God's not going to answer for what he's doing. And so he's a man that's frustrated. We can be very frustrated when things come into our lives. Listen, actually, I find it easier when God has disciplined me and I know what it's for. Because then I can go to him and bow my head and say, Lord, forgive me. But when I'm going through these trials and I don't understand why, what is he trying to do? That sometimes into our lives comes discipline. When we talk about discipline, is is growing us because of education, educational discipline. And so he's uh, hurting. It's not punishment, but God's trying to teach him. And so he has this attitude that God's unjust. And we go to chapter 38 and 39. God says, okay, Job. He says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now the loins like a man, for I will demand thee and answer thou me. He said, okay, Job, you've had your say. Now answer me some questions. He says there in verse 4, where was thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare ye thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Of who laid the cornerstone thereof? So Job, tell me how this world is held together. Tell me how this world was made. Who, 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 uh, who are you to, you know, were you there? Can you tell me how all this is done? What great knowledge do you have? And basically God is saying, Job, I know what I'm doing. And when the rug's been pulled out from underneath me, and I cry out to God, Lord, why? Lord, if you're trying to, if you're trying to diss me for some reason, let me know, Lord, I want to confess my sin. Why? And he comes back and simply says, listen, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. He's trying to educate me. He's trying to bring some changes into my life. And so he asked him about those things. In chapter 39, I'm just giving you some brief examples here. In chapter 39 and verse 13, Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacock, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? Job, but did you do all this? Did you have all that understanding? Which leaveth their eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust and forgetteth that their foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. And so he talks about some of his created beings. And Job is being challenged here. And God, in the end, is first chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproved God, let him answer it. And then Job learned a great lesson here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I'll lay my hand upon my mouth. Even though he was one that was perfect and eschewed evil, he came to realize I'm just a man. And my nature is one of sin. 
Once I have spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind, and said, Gird up the loins of thy mind, I'll demand of thee. And then look at what Job said in chapter 42. Then Job answered and said, I know thou can do everything, and that no man can be, can, can be withholden from thee. When I'm going through this time, I don't know of any sin in my life. I don't understand why I'm suffering. Why, has, why have I lost my family? Why have I lost all my property? Why have I lost all my livestock? Why have I lost my health? Well, in the Lord, in the end, Job said this. I know, God, you can do anything you want to do. I know that God is God. What a wonderful thing in the time of educative discipline to come to the place to understand God is God. And he says, who is he that, he says, who is he that, um, who is he that hath counsel without knowledge? Therefore I uttered, the, uttered, I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I will speak and I will demand of thee. And then he said, he, then he says in verse 5, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Job said, you know, I heard about you. I heard about who you are, God. I heard about how you work. I've heard about it. But now I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen what you've done with my own eyes. That God has allowed these things to come into my life to educate me that I may know him more personally. That, 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 that instead of beating ourselves up and instead of always, and it's proper to examine why we're going through things, but instead of just putting it off to the fact that somehow I'm a dirty, rotten person and, and, and God's just beating me up. No, Job was not a dirty, rotten person. He was a very wonderful, godly man. But in the end, there are some things that he could learn. And he just heard about, but now he experienced, listen, it's in the deepest of the trials when we are like Paul and says, you know, the storm was coming, but God stood with me. He never forsook me. He's always there. And so sometimes it can be educating. It could be for us to know him more personally. You may be going through some rough times that you can't explain. There's no sin in your life. But perhaps like Paul, that he may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Trials are not always because of sinful behavior. Look over in 1 Peter. Sometimes trials work. They're educative. In 1 Peter, look in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes to a group of people who have been run from their homes, who are pilgrims scattered throughout the earth. And as pastor of the church at Jerusalem and all of his congregations have been fled because of persecution, Peter writes in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, Wherefore ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. He said, rejoice when you're going through difficult times. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hard things in our lives are not always because of sinful things in our lives. And he said, you're going through some hard times. And he said, listen, these times are more precious than gold. Look what it, look what it accomplishes. Look over in uh, chapter 4 and verse 12. Chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which should try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, 
that when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad with also with exceeding joy. And then look over in uh, verse 10 and 11. He said, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, mature, established, strengthen, and settle you, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's things that come into my life that, that uh, weren't because of sinful activity in my life, but they came into my life that in the end, when I was through with them, I was matured. I was established. I was strengthened. And it settled me down. As I said here before, that in Eastern Oregon is called horse sense. And horse sense differs from common sense, and in horse sense, it's kicked into you. Sometimes struggling kicks some things into us. And so, educative. We need to we need to understand that sometimes discipline is educative. Romans says, not only we glory in tribulation, also knowing. That tribulation worketh patience or endurance, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is spread abroad in our heart. The suffering sometimes comes in our life so that we might learn some lessons. We learn from the hard things. We learn from the difficult things. Now, not only is there educational discipline, but there's also preventive discipline. Look over in... 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 1. In chapter 12, Paul said, It's not expedient or not proper for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ, and he's talking about himself, about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, whether it was an in-body experience or out-of-the-body experience, I cannot tell. God knows. Such a one caught up into the third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. If I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And so he said, I was allowed to go into heaven. I went into paradise. And I saw things and heard things that I can't even tell you about. But I was there. I mean, no one else but me, me, Paul. I'm the only one that's ever went and come back except for the Lord. And then he says, unless I should be exalted above measure, unless he would get the, the big eye, you know, unless I would be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, unless I should be exalted because of all the things I saw, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Some sorrow and suffering and pain came into Paul's life. There was this thorn in the flesh. He doesn't say what it was. Many assume that it was his vision and that he had lost his vision. But God allowed something to come into his life that was there constantly. A thorn in the flesh. Uh, last week I was out... Um, walking in the woods and um, of course there's rose bushes every place and and I got a couple of them in my hand and 
And when they go in there, those little burgers break off, and then they just keep going in. It seems like, but you know you got a thorn in the flesh. Well, this was with Paul constantly. He couldn't escape it. It was with him all the time. But there, but, but there was a reason for that. And that was God wanted to keep Paul to the place where he would say, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. That he gave him a thorn in the flesh to prevent him from being proud. Yeah, I was up into heaven, but I, but I, uh, but I still uh, need God. That I'm, without him, I am, I am nothing. And so the, the thorn in the flesh was, was a discipline in Paul's life. That you're not, you know, I'm going to bring you this so you won't become too proud. He prevented him. Here you are. You're planning for this job. You've studied for this job. You went to school for this job. You applied for this job. It's a job that you can do. It's a job just tailor-made for you. And uh, the call comes and said, we've decided to hire someone else. Why? Why did that happen? I know I could do it. I prepared myself to do it. Perhaps God's prevented you from a certain job, a certain move, perhaps a certain relationship, because God knew this. It's not going to be good for you spiritually. If you get that job, it's not going to be good for you. And sometimes God says no. Just like, just like when you put the barrier in that little illustration, you put the barrier, and here that little toddler's there. I don't want to get that fan. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking away all my joy? Why can't I have that? What's that barrier doing there? How come I've been prevented from this happening? And the desire of my heart is taken away, and God says no, and I say, Why, God, why? Because I know you can't handle it. At this place in your life, there's no temptation taking you, such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. But he won't allow us to go down that road. And it's so frustrating to me. And, and, and God says no. But there's a reason. That, that God loves me. God knows my heart. God knows what I can take and what I can't take. And the discipline of God, no discipline, as it says here in this passage that we read in Hebrews, it's, no, it's not pleasant at, the, for the, at that point in time. <clears throat> and growing up as a toddler, going into my preteen years, going into teenage years, going into the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and now in the 70s, I've never enjoyed being told no. But God tells us no at times because it's the best thing that could happen to us. He says no. And so we have educative discipline, we had preventive discipline. And we're going to talk about corrective discipline. Remember, David got to be a big shot. At the time of the year when the army should go out to war, David sent his soldiers out, but he stayed behind. And David, one evening, goes out upon the housetop and sees a woman bathing on the housetop. And instead of turning around and going back, he looks and he lusts and 
he makes a plan to to uh, get together with Bathsheba. And uh, God is going to deal with that. If you go over to 2 Samuel chapter 12, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7, David had been over a year, nearly a year, the child is going to be is born. And Nathan comes, the man of God, and first Samuel, second Samuel chapter twelve, verse seven, and Nathan said it to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been too little, I would have moreover given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. In raising of my children, there were times when discipline was educative. Don't do that. This is the reason you don't do that. This is hot. You can get burnt. But sometimes I had to do things to prevent them from doing certain things, and I wouldn't allow them to be involved in certain activities in North Pole, Alaska. But when they despise that, When they despised me, telling them what they needed to do, and I did it out of a heart of love, there was only one thing left. And I had to discipline them with corrective discipline. And he says, therefore, in verse 9, hast thou despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight, thou hast killed Uriah, with the sword, Uriah the Hittite, and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Corrective discipline. <clears throat> you need to you and I need to watch how we respond to corrective discipline. Mm-hmm. And understand this, that God meant the best for David. I was going to save this little illustration to the, to the end, but when my brother was a little toddler, my mom related the story how he got up that morning, and he was cranky as could be, just mean and ugly. And she let it go on, she let it go on, she let it go on, and he's just getting worse and worse. And finally, she calls my brother over and turns him up and gives him a good whipping. <clears throat> Sends him off to quit his crying, and after he got his sobbing out, as he was there at the counter preparing a meal, <coughs> he came over, he grabbed a hold of her leg, and he looked up at her, and he said, Mama, I love you. Discipline brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Discipline proves that God loves us, that he wouldn't let David just go on in what he was doing, but he spanked him. And I submit to you that here was a man who God said, because you've done this, you're not going to be able to build the temple. You're not going to be able to do that. Your sin has taken that away from you. 
And David didn't say, what did, what did David do? He went and gathered all the material that could be gathered so Solomon could build the temple. I submit to you that David was a greater man and a better man after God had corrected him with discipline. Now why do I, why do I speak about this today? Well first let me, let me address you that are born again. You're either going into a time of discipline <laughs> or in a, in a time of discipline, or coming out of a time of discipline. And God's trying to either educate you or prevent you or correct you. But in either, either case, any case, whether it's educative discipline or preventive discipline or corrective discipline, no that God wants the best for you. And he's trying to work in your life. He's trying to teach you something. And so if it's corrective discipline, or, or, or if it's educational discipline, if God is trying to educate you about something, and he's put you in a box, he's not allowed you to go any further than what you want to go, well, get out your paper and pencil and learn the lesson. Understand why God is bringing this into my life. Understand what's going on. If it's preventive discipline, where he's keeping you from that job or from that marriage relationship or, or uh, that thing that you so desired, know that there's no temptation taking us, but such is common to man, but God is able to make a way of escape. Perhaps somehow your life and preventive discipline is almost like a avalanche has come down and 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 overcome you and overwhelmed you and you've been buried in it, it seems, and God has said no to that thing that you were so sure should come about. When I was 25 years old, I was living in Dallas, Texas, only because God wanted me there, not by choice. <laughs> uh, no, uh, by choice if God wanted me there, but uh, when I left Dallas, Texas, the best view of it was in a rear view mirror. 25 years old, going to school, and serving in Rogers Baptist Church, and I met this wonderful girl that I fell in love with and was engaged to be married to. And after about four months after the engagement, the avalanche came rolling down the mountain. And she came to visit me where I was doing mission work with a friend of hers for the sole purpose of giving me the ring back. And I'm ashamed to tell you this morning that for over a year, I licked my wounds and questioned God. Why? Why? And actually, for that year, I was pretty much worthless to serve the Lord. But now, in hindsight, I can tell you with 100% surety that God meant it for good. And the wife that he gave me was exactly what I needed. Preventive discipline. 
perhaps you're in corrective discipline. God's given you a whipping. You know, I guess I'm a Humphrey and my clan is pretty hard-headed, pretty bullheaded. But what I failed to realize is that uh, I come from the man who's bullheaded too. And when I would receive corrective discipline and not respond in the proper way, more was coming. If you get anything out of this, and, and, and I wanted to really try to narrow it down, but I want you to understand that what that word chastisement means, and there are different forms of discipline, but I want you to start grasping. We go through life, we're driving down the road, and different things happen to us, and we don't even stop to ask, what is God trying to do? But help us not to have to learn the lesson twice because we didn't learn it properly the first time. And to understand in all of this that God wants the best for you. That his way is perfect. And understand that whether, whether uh, Whatever is going on in my life in the area of pain and sorrow and, and disruption and difficulty, that God's trying to work something. And that even, as we said, even though he didn't tell Joseph's brothers to sell him, God worked in that. And you see, when we talk about, when we talked about the, discipline, the, the, the difference between judgment of God and the discipline of God is that because God is my father, because I know that I'm his and he's mine, I know that I repented of my sins and trusted him, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Because I know all that, I know this. All things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose. That God works all things for good. That he has the ability to do that. But perhaps you're here this morning and your relationship is with the Lord is not secure. You're not sure about it. You don't really know if you would go to heaven if you would die. Sometimes you look at the world, and like in Psalm 73, the psalmist was looking at the world, and he, 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 was, he was getting, getting depressed but he, because, because he says, look at the wicked. The wicked prosper. The wicked say, they do what they want to, and they say, where is God? Does God know? Maybe you're here today and say, and you know, I've never experienced this stuff you're talking about, this corrective discipline or preventive discipline or instructive discipline. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me say to you that in the years when my children were young, we never spanked a bailey we never spanked a Lambert. We never spanked a George. But we spanked a lot of Humphreys. And the reason that you don't experience these things is the fact that you don't know, you don't have a Heavenly Father. God disciplines those that are His. In punishment, God is the judge. And discipline, he's the father. And punishment, the object is to get his enemy. And discipline, the object is to correct his child. And punishment, the goal is 
condemn them and give them their just due for their sin. But in discipline, the goal is that God would create in us holiness. And so, if nothing else this morning, and we'll get into the more personal things this afternoon, understand that Understand that the things that happen in your life are not just circumstantial. We don't live by the motto, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. No, God has his affairs. God has his hands in the affairs of his children. And when he has his hands in the affairs of his children, it's always, always to work good. And some of you are going through some things possibly this very hour and you don't necessarily understand it and you don't necessarily like it and you don't necessarily want to cooperate with it but know that God has a purpose and God wants to keep you from destroying your life. I'm so glad that God said no to me in a number of occasions Who knows where I'd be today if God hadn't intervened. And so cooperate. I, I didn't write this song down, but I remember going to a funeral and they sang a song, God is too wise to be mistaken. And he's too loving. And it just had a number of different things that said, but listen, God, if you're a child of God, he's going to do right by you. And so when I was a little boy and dad said no and I didn't like hearing no, you know what I had to do? I had to trust dad. And sometimes dad failed <laughs> and sometimes he messed up and sometimes he didn't know what he's talking about and sometimes I got a spanking when Jim should have got a spanking. But God knows what he's doing. And so I'm asking you today to trust him. I want you to come to a point where you can say, Lord, I don't like what's going on. I don't like what's happening. I don't want it this way. But thank you that you've got a plan. And help me to cooperate with the plan. And so while I give any kind of invitation today, I'd invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and say, Lord, I trust you. Help me to get all that you're trying to teach me. Help me, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for preventing me from going the wrong direction. So I want to end with this song today, Numbers 262, where the psalmist invites God to search him and to try him and to see if there's any wicked way in him.